The views expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KUCI, its management, the UC Board of Regents, or the class of 2021. Good morning, I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the June 8th, 2021 edition of Ask a Leader. Today, we have an all-anteater show. First, UCI professor Kathleen Traceder is preparing to be a city council candidate. This is now our third look under her hood of a formative career. In the second segment, KUCI music director Kate Davidson will deliver Ask a Leader's second annual Ant Eater commencement address and talk about where her business and radio background will be taking her. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Ask a Leader. My guest in this segment is UCI professor Kathleen Traceder here today to talk not so much about the evolution of her fungi specimens, but the evolution of her professional and civic roles. Kathleen Traceder is the Howard A. Schneiderman Endowed Chair and Professor of Biology at UC Irvine. For 30 years, She's led an internationally recognized research program and educated the next generation of scientists and college graduates. She's worked her way through college and graduate school, earning an honors Bachelor of Science degree in biology from the University of Utah and a PhD in biological sciences from Stanford University. She was first on this show in September, 2015, when the Bioscience Comms Guy arranged for a very long format story of her life interview for a Women in STEM publication, a memo to young girls about where their careers could, go, could be taking them. And last year, she appeared on my 10 year anniversary show. We took note of her professional life then morphing into political activism and was getting close then to taking a leap into elected office. We're now gonna take a look under that hood today as she has filed to run for city council office in Irvine. She comes to us today from her home in Irvine. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, Kathleen Traceder. Hi Claudia, it's so good to be here. Well, thank you. So when we had you on previously, we continued with your takeaways, the diversity of your lab giving you huge dividends. We were talking about the dividends of your political activism. So let's talk about that from last year forward. Now you've been undertaking elected office training. So what, what's that training been like? What that has helped you hone as you continue? Yeah, well, um, I, so I've done two training programs. Um, one is Emerge California. That was last year. And Emerge California is a nonprofit that trains um, self-identified progressive women to run for office. And that was pretty intensive. It lasted um, half the year in 2020. And then right now I'm taking Blue U training, which is led by the Democratic Party of Orange County. And that helps me deal more with uh, local issues. Blue U? Yeah, Blue U. Okay. And U is... Now, because we're in the, uh, immediately approximate to this radio broadcast is the university, but Blue U is Y-O-U. It's U the letter. I think okay. that they are invoking like 
But I feel like we're in a college class. Okay, so I get that. So on radio, we have to sort of hammer away at that. <laughs> some things that aren't, uh, that could have been, could have been all of those. Yeah, so, I didn't even think about that. Well, yeah. So that's some of the training. So you're, you're meeting with other aspiring elected officials. What yeah. are you learning? Do you learn from each other? You're learning, is it top down? Is it sideways? <laughs> it's from each other. It's, it's really the best part of these training programs is developing this network. And it's a network in terms of a career network and also a network in terms of a support network. And um, in fact, in Emerge California, they call it the secret sauce of the program. So a lot of times, you know how when you're going through something really difficult together with a group, maybe like middle school or something like that, and you really bond with them and you never forget that, that is the case for candidate training because it is really stressful and it really requires us to you know, re-examine our sense of self. And I think that that helps us bond. And so my Emerge California sisters, we're encouraged to call each other sisters, we are there for each other. We still, we meet every month in a, just a happy hour call where we commiserate and share tips and um, share contacts and it's, it's wonderful. And we're starting to do the same thing with Blue U. And so they're all around California and are yeah. they, what is the breakdown of what they're interested in pursuing most immediately? Um, well, in Blue U, it's basically um, kind of down ballot races in Orange County. And so, you know, talking about city council races, water district, sanitation district, um, school board, those kinds of races. Uh, in Emerge California, it was mostly that, but then there were some people who were thinking about running for assembly or um, state senate. So now that you mentioned down ballot, that's like one of my favorite places to hang out on my radio platform <laughs> is because if down ballot is not engaged fully, if it's not promoted, if it's not, and, and yeah. people aren't enlisted and getting busy on the, the down ballot races, then we have voices that are set that whoever wins yeah. the bottom, uh, the, the down ballot races, and we can see the outcome. They're not progressive, they're the outcomes around yeah. the country. So how much down ballot lessons have been shared with the outcomes of 2020, November, 2020? Yeah, uh, so November, 2020, we were disappointed in some of our down ballot races in Orange County, I will say, um, but on the other hand, uh, quite a few city councils flipped progressive during that year, um, like Irvine. And uh, that is really helpful. And it's actually changed the landscape. You know, I work a lot on environmental policy and actually changed the landscape really abruptly in environmental policy, helped it out quite a bit. So even though, you know, uh, you hear about some of these contests, they ended up going Republican um, and that that was, thought as a sign that the Democrats weren't performing as, as expected. Um, in reality, we had a number of really important victories. And so I was, I was really encouraged by that. Well, I'm, I know it's community radio, but my eyes are sort of looking over at sort of national trends and that kind of a thing. And yeah. the down ballot, as we, we talk about over and over, it's the farm team for yes. higher ballot races. So yeah. uh, I, that's, I, 
I'm looking both locally and nationally about how that down ballot um, activity is going. And so, and it's, I ask the candidates in the, both where we were in the spring primary as well as the general election, how down ballot candidates are getting attention down there. And yes. those were not the most direct path answers I was getting, Kathleen. Yeah, it's, um, we, we definitely need a lot more attention in down ballot races. And you're exactly right. This is the bench. And the Republicans have been so good. They've treated this basically like a machine. Like you get people in, you know, if there's an uh, office opening because someone has gotten elected out or resigned or whatever, you uh, appoint a Republican in there. They don't even have to run. And then they get to run for their next race a little bit up the ballot as an incumbent for the previous race. And they just keep working their way up there. And in addition, if you have people who have lost their kind of higher ballot races, like John Morlock did, you just run for a lower ballot race. It's just like just this way of keeping Republicans in office and moving them up whenever there's a chance. It's like a science that they've got. And in Orange County, the Democratic Party in the past, I think, didn't work on that so much. And so we didn't have that bench. And then when it came time in 2018 for people to run for U.S. representative and so forth, we didn't have those people who had been seasoned in office to move up. And so we have people who started from scratch and it works super well, like with Representative Katie Porter, but it's just very, very hard to run a first campaign for a U.S. representative or higher. These down ballot races, not only do they influence the actual policy of your city or even smaller, they influence your future for the party. And I guess the down ballot is also an opportunity, and this may be more of a national phenomenon or a broader kind of aspect where if the party that's more organized knows where there's uncontested races down ballot that become a very undemocratic kind of outcome. Yes, that's exactly right. They have a heads up. They might know when someone's thinking about retiring or resigning. They could plan for that. Uh, it makes it hard to get to develop inroads. And in fact, for Irving Ranch Water District in 2020, right near the filing deadline, there were no Democrats that were thinking about running at that time. And so the Republican incumbent would have gone unchallenged. And so we had to reach out when we saw that there weren't any people who were fired. We had to reach out and recruit a, a Democrat to run. And I recruited uh, Dr. Karen McLaughlin, which I'm really proud of because she, she ran her race. She won in a landslide. She defeated a decades long incumbent. And now she's in the Irving Ranch Water District helping you know, develop plans for recycling water and conserving water. Right. And I interviewed both candidates, even though where UCI is situated, we were outside of that because it's now those yeah. are elected districts. That's the new the first time that's happened. So and yeah. that elect there's a seg there is about elected districts. We are going to be facing yeah. some form of elected district. So did in either Emerge California or Blue mm -hmm. U, did they take up in one of the breakout rooms? <laughs> the strategies for those at-large versus elected district scenarios. Yeah, well, I'll tell you that as a candidate, at-large scenarios are really, really tough to deal with, especially if you have a large city like Irvine, 
or Huntington Beach. You know, in Irvine, we have something like 220,000 residents and 150,000 voters, and we're at large. So we have to reach 150,000 voters. That is not easy. Um, our maximum donation cap is $550. So you really got to get a lot of donors on board. And that's tough. It means that it's very hard for a candidate to run a race like that if they have a really demanding job or something like that, or if they don't have a whole lot of time to invest in calling up donors. I think it eliminates a lot of possibilities for sure in these big cities. We talked about that a bit. Yeah, it's, it's tougher. Well, I have had Irvine Watchdog on and they've talked about the upside, the downside of the status quo and that the choice is on Irvine, the current city council, to deal with whether it's going to be a court-imposed formula or will it be the constituent participation formula. And so when you are a candidate, we will have you answer that policy question at that point. Right now, it's about the formative sort of process underway. And so my questions are taking a little bit different tack. So for those of you who've just joined us, my guest is UCI Ecology Evolutionary Scientist a Chancellor's Fellow and leader of the Traceder Lab, Professor Kathleen Traceder. She is an announced candidate for the Irvine City Council, the election of which will be November, 2022. So the formative question part of that I'm tacking here with is, this is an early time for someone to announce their candidacy, traditionally, yeah. historically speaking, in Irvine. So is that something that the Emerge California or Blue U endorsed is get signed on earlier to fan out and yeah. become a more widely recognized, what more widely known? Actually, their advice was to wait until the last possible minute to file your papers. Because as soon as you file, then you become a target because <laughs> people are, they know to look out for you. But Kathleen, um, is there a difference between announcing and filing? Oh, um, yeah, that's true. So basically, so we have these filing deadlines that happen. It depends on the race, but for Irvine City Council, I think it's like every six months or so. Like, so for instance, for this race, June 30th is when the filing records and the donation records for every candidate goes public. And so people can go in and look to see, okay, who's filed in the last six months and how much money have they raised? So basically within that six months, you want to file early on enough that you can you know, make a good, strong show of, of donation support so that when those numbers come out June 30th, then you know, people can see if you're a viable candidate, you're able to get donations. And that's so, June 30, 2021. You're not talking 2022. Yeah, 2021. Okay. So, but that public deadline, you want to put it off as long as possible. So, so basically the, the trade-off is if you have an earlier deadline where your, your information goes public, then people know about you as candidate and they can start targeting you. But on the other hand, it's beneficial in the sense that you have that extra time to raise money. And so for my campaign, the consideration ended up being, I just need that time to raise money. This is a big, I mean, it's a big campaign. Normally you want something like $10 per voter to pay for mailings and outreach and stuff like that. 
Uh, for Irvine City Council, you know, we have such a lower donor cap that it's very hard for us to raise, I mean, it'd be almost impossible to raise that much money for this race. Um, instead, even just to get like $1 per donor, we have to start now and just start calling up lots and lots of people. If I had waited much longer, I would have been concerned about whether I could actually get enough money by election day. So everybody hearing you can hear that there is a huge finance element in the bandwidth of candidacy. And even though we're not having you take policy positions necessarily right now, though, but that preoccupation with the funding yeah. is something we've all sort of uh, allowed. Yeah. <laughs> we all own this. <laughs> so, I wish, I, I really wish this were not the case. It, it's wrong in a lot of ways. And, but this is, this is a situation that we have to deal with. So this is what I'm doing. So before, I mean, in the early part of your activism, there were an array of issues that were resonating with you when there was, science was under question, there was science rallies because of of the previous administration, the White House, but now I'm interested in, do the local responses to the pandemic codify how a science background can and should convey public messages, Kathleen. Yeah, uh, it's just really, um, really highlighted how important it is to have people in local office who actually listen to science. If you don't have those local electeds who care about science, then you get people dying. You know, our OC Board of Supervisors, before 2020, there were very few of them who actually believed the recommendations by the CDC. I'm not sure they really understood, frankly, how epidemics work and why it was important to wear masks early on and do social distancing. They really thought that. And you could see Orange County was a hot spot for the nation for a period of time. And it was for that reason. And I have no doubt that if we had had a different board of supervisors who actually believed in science, there'd be a lot more people alive today in Orange County. And I mean, there's the mortality and there was, there's also sort of the kind of the, the trauma of worrying about the hazards. Yeah. I mean, there, the, the, the toll was quite intense throughout. And yes. so then on to the Kathleen Traceder formative experience. So now you're getting a pretty close and interesting look. I want you to respond to this, to sort of the alliance politics going on in the municipal level. So could you talk about that? It's kind, how are you handling that? It's a a gift and it's a a risk. Yeah, it's it's a challenge. So um, I'll just say ideally, you know, because I'm a scientist and I believe in following evidence, um, I am perfectly happy to reach out to any elected officials who are also willing to look at evidence and make decisions based on that and and talk with them about it and and try to figure out the best solutions for problems that we're having. And, you know, just because my values tend to align more with progressives, I often reach out to Democrats. There are times when I'm perfectly happy to work with Republicans. If, If we're aligned in the same, you know, objectives, then yes, I will absolutely work with them. And I... I preferred that 
but it is very hard to do that. Um, first of all, we have, you know, there's an emphasis on party loyalty, which I completely understand and support as well. Um, and then even within the Democratic Party, there are definitely some, uh, I'll just say rifts, especially in Irvine. And I don't want to go into details because I don't want to inadvertently make them worse. But um, but it ends up being a challenge. I, I have to put a fair bit of energy into navigating um, those interactions within the party, um, as well as, you know, across parties. So it is, it is a challenge. So when we get closer to the general election, we don't know yet, presumably the at-large elections will be, the, the, the status quo will remain. We won't have elected districts. It would be a very rapid turnaround to have them by 2022. But yeah. it, it's, it's possible because there, there are, I interviewed a member of the Associated Student Body Joshua Block last yeah. week, a, a couple mm-hmm. of weeks ago. And so he showed maps. He's got maps running. Yeah, I've he seen gave, them. Yeah. yeah, you've seen them. Okay. So mm-hmm. that could happen, I guess. And that's the alliance system that we're talking about is all over the map about maps. Yeah. <laughs> so are you in a position to interject in making, a, I'm going to put words in your mouth, but for, <laughs> a, for supporting the constituent-driven model of mapping? Well, what I have thought about is, um, you know, there's, there's more than one value that people can consider when they're thinking about going to district elections. And so um, I understand that the people who were on your show before, that that is a really strong value that they have, is that they really want constituents to be able to interact directly and easily with elected officials. Is that... I'm guessing that's what they said, something to that extent. Correct. Okay. A really important value. So, you know, so democratic. Uh, Another value is making sure that we have um, representation of minority groups on the city council. Uh, That's a very, that's a central value of mine. And so that is something that I'm really going to be thinking about a lot. Now, you know, I know for a fact that district elections will be easier for my campaign, that doesn't mean it's the best thing for the city. I'll go with what's the best thing for the city. And um, and my, my value that I'm gonna really be looking at is minority inclusion. So the at large though, as, as was pointed out, is there were 14 candidates <laughs> yeah. that ran. And Kathleen, I have interviewed, I'm not talking about radio type, I'm talking about a complete stranger, I will talk up anybody because I've, I've, <laughs> I've found a very interesting exercise, which every stranger has actually permitted uh, to varying uh, degrees of detail. But yeah. most people that I approach as a, as a sort of a little geeky hobby of mine is ask them, do they know their representative in the U.S. Congress? Yeah. And yeah. about, I, it's a, I'll say like 90% of people don't know who represents them in Congress. So if that's a tall order, that up ballot item, so down ballot, how are we going to expect people to know all those candidates that are running and (laughs) and know what and who and what they're about? It's very hard. I agree. I mean, it is, uh, 
it's unbelievable how many candidates we have for our city council races. My gosh. And so I went back before I got involved politically. I had no idea uh, who to vote for until like I would really have to scour the Internet. And so I, I found the Democratic Party of Orange County website. I um, was able to find the Democrats of Greater Irvine website and I looked to see who they endorsed. And so that's who I would go with. But um, it was very hard for me to find that information. I was really, really motivated. So I can imagine most people, it's just tough. Right, so, and so that is a lot of candidates to, to mm-hmm. and the, the idea is that the more proximate, meaning the, the, uh, the elected district specific candidates could then, there was this dividend of them raising the engagement of constituents, of, of mm-hmm. voters. I'm, I'm talking about voters now, not constituents. I'm being more specific. Yeah. So, oh, so that concerns all of us, I would think, that we, we're, oh. try, we're aiming for 100% turnout. I mean, really, that's still still a good thing to wish for. But it, it would make that, uh, that goal a little more, uh, a, a higher percentage more likely with oh, I, that immediate candidate. I completely agree. And it is, it is so important. It's really important. Um, I'm just saying it's not the only important thing to consider. Uh, you know, it's the, the reason that cities are being sued uh, to move to districts is because of lack of minority representation in many, many city councils. And uh, so I, I don't want to discount that at all. And it, and it is important for our city. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm white. Uh, I think it would be easy for me not to address it, but I, I've seen what, what happens if, if people who are underrepresented don't have elected officials uh, who, who really understand what they're going for, going through. And so I do value that as well. It, it's very important. So your role in electoral engagement on the UCI campus. Let's make that the yeah. last question for now. And then the next time I have you back, I'll be having a, a raft of city council candidates in the fall of 2022. So this is the last question. How, what okay. are you gonna do about your UC constituency? Uh, yeah, people say they've been great so far. I, uh, the students at UCI are so, thoughtful and incredibly bright and very engaged. You know, for 2018, I went door-to-door canvassing uh, for Katie Porter and we knock on the, you know, there's, there are a bunch of uh, apartments right off campus that students rent. We knock on the doors and we say, hey, do you know who your representative is? They're like, Mimi Walters, <laughs> we gotta get out, we gotta get her out. Like they, they knew about Mimi Walters, they knew about Katie Porter. Like I can't, I couldn't believe it. These are 18, 19, 20 year olds. They know more than a lot of older adults about these issues. Um, So they're wonderful. And so I've been interacting with the UCI college Democrat groups, such a thoughtfully and effectively run group. uh, group. I just just love them. Um, We also have a really strong group of environmentally oriented students here at UCI. And I've been interacting a lot with them and they've been volunteering a lot on the campaign already. Just really great. And then of course we have all my neighbors here in University Hills who've been very, very supportive as well. And um, 
very important donors for the campaign already. So I'm, I'm so thrilled to have, you know, this group uh, at my back. Well, we do have a, a high representation now of this uh, immediate precinct in yeah. state and federal government. So that's, I do. it's pretty incredible. So now that I yeah. take a moment to think about that. Well, I really appreciate the chance to sort of follow. I didn't know this when we did this in 2015, that we'd be, you know, moving right along and uh, all these other kinds of arenas. So uh, it's it's kind of an, a cool experiment to, <laughs> to look under. You give us a chance to look under the hood. And next time it'll be full on candidate. And uh, I'm yeah. looking forward to hearing from all candidates, you included. Thanks a lot, Wonderful. Kathleen Trestita, for your time today on Ask a Leader. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. My guest was UCI ecology and evolutionary scientist and Chancellor's Fellow and the leader of the Traceder Lab, Professor Kathleen Traceder, an announced candidate for Irvine City Council, the election of which will be November 2022. We'll be right back with KUCI music director and graduating anteater, class of 2021, Kate Davidson for her commencement address as she embarks on her next ventures and adventures. Don't go away. Welcome back to the show. My guest for this segment is Kate Davidson, known around these parts as KUCI's music director and graduating senior in this class of 2021. She's here to offer her commencement address and then reflect with us on her years at UC Irvine. Kate is a product of an upbringing in San Diego. She's graduating with a business administration degree after transferring to UCI in 2019 from a San Diego-based community college. She decided to pursue this business major after starting her own vintage clothing business, Good Fruit, at the age of 16, where she's sold almost 3,000 items. Her self-avowed obsession with music directed her to KUCI in her first weeks at UC Irvine, where she found her community of creatives. Her radio show, Dumpster Diving, which airs on Tuesdays from 2 to 4 p.m. features underground garage, psychedelic, and punk rock music. She was recently awarded by the Business Careers and Entertainment Club for, quote, being most likely to turn in two assignments when only one is due, end of quote. After graduation, Kate will join the Venture for America Fellowship, where she'll work in a startup to support the economic development of an American city. She hopes to someday own her own business that focuses on supporting musicians. Welcome to Ask a Leader, Kate Davidson. Thank you, Claudia. I'm excited to be here. Well, and the first order of business is for Kate to give her commencement address, which has now become, this is the second annual, take it away, Kate Davidson. Awesome. Well. I came from a less educated background. I went to high school and I guess I shouldn't say less educated, but I wasn't 
a great student back then. I didn't know where my future lay ahead. And I, as Claudia mentioned, started a vintage clothing business, loved a kind of bohemian community of reselling online or going to flea markets and really poured into that and bought like an old van and was planning on graduating and just traveling around and playing music, selling stuff, doing kind of that bohemian lifestyle. But of course, my parents were a little bit hesitant there and I ended up going to community college and instantly just kind of loving that environment and really thriving off of the college atmosphere and really got a fire in me and did well and got into UCI. And was so excited and intimidated by UC Irvine. I never had dreamed that I'd go to such a good school. And also was worried that I would do so bad in the business courses. Wasn't sure if they would be so much harder than what I had already experienced. But once I was there, I quickly found my place. Realized that I had it in me. I was another student. I was capable. Really recognizing my inner strength and embracing it. Of course, meeting tons of friends along the way that I'm going to keep the rest of my life and really hard to wave goodbye to that as I graduate, but it's been an amazing experience. And even more so than the business school, KUCI has provided an environment where I really found myself as someone who's grown up so attached to the music community. I'm always looking for underground music. I have a giant record collection, played in bands, all that good stuff. And when I was invited with one of my housemates was like, hey, let's check out KUCI. I went and instantly was just like, this is the place. And I went like, dove in, was so committed, would try to go to every activity, try to talk to everybody. I remember like the first meeting, like purposely trying to seek out Kevin, the station manager and shake his hand and really get to know him because I wanted to be all over KUCI. And soon became the music director, as again, Claudia mentioned, and really just tried to embrace it as a great learning opportunity. I never had like any college internships or anything along those lines. So I was really worried about my career, but being the music director really helped me learn about even like the business world and connecting with people, building accounts for the station, managing people, all those great stuff. It's been such an amazing learning opportunity that really felt so catered to my personal interests. It was in music. I loved music, but all of a sudden I had all these responsibilities and I really just felt like I thrived. But of course, during all of this, COVID happened and COVID was obviously not a fun part of this college experience. So I actually was at the UC Irvine campus for about six months. And then I got kicked back to my home in San Diego. And of course, behind the screen of my computer for all of the rest of my college experience. But I was still able to be part of KUCI, make a lot of impact on the music aspect, the communicating, tried to host events, tried to, for my own personal radio show, I've done a lot of interviews with artists that I probably would have never been able to contact because they would have been busy but because of COVID I had Mets on my show I had Death Valley Girls I had a harpist named Mary Latimore and a few others and also interviewing a guitar player from a band called the Bull Beats next week so that's just been so fruitful and over the pandemic actually really worked out but I mean, overall, UCI, I felt like I blinked and it was over. And sometimes when I'm getting down on myself, I feel like 
how come I was only there for six months and it's over? Like, it feels really frustrating and like I was let down. But I think the reality of life is that bad stuff happens. And I just really feel like I sucked a lot of really good experiences out of the short time I had there. So I will be walking next Sunday down at UC Irvine. Luckily, we'll get to do that. But I've learned so much. I've made so many friends. It's, it's heartbreaking that it's over, but I know that, you know, it's just time to transition to the next thing. And that's, that's overall my experience. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kate. And it really must have been extraordinary to have signed on for a transfer student's experience, a stint, and lo and behold, that three quarters of your two-year stint was going to be in a stay-in-place order back at home in San Diego for you. So that was not what you signed on for. Did your radio crowd give you a little bit more of a feeling like belonging on campus, though? I was wondering if that helped at all. Mm, I think that... On campus, it definitely was great, but I think it continued over into the pandemic and I still had that community and I still had the listeners who were listening to my show outside of like, even, you know, in the pandemic situation, I still had that and I really was still able to thrive that because I had that initial time on the campus and invested in KUCI. I got to carry that into the pandemic too. So for the first six months then, and you had a show, let's see, first you had to get your training before you went on live in 2019. Correct. Right. So were you already engaging listeners while you were having your show? I mean, we can't, when we host guests on public affairs, we don't really get to do that. There's, there's nobody to screen out live calls, but you have your mic turned off when you're playing your music. Were you already engaging listeners anywhere in the world that, that are on the web stream you are listening terrestrially? Yeah, well, I think the I had some listeners and I think the biggest evidence is that I had the listeners is I had people reach out to me several times and people that I'm still friends with now who just said they love my show. There's one man who worked in the law um, administration department at UC Irvine, and he would always listen to my show and send me um, letters and emails afterwards and now he's actually a pretty good friend of mine and he's been helping me navigate post-graduation and I also had a band who really liked my show and I invited them on to play at KUCI and right before the pandemic hit I had them come to the station and we recorded a segment so and I interviewed them and that was such a cool experience and then the pandemic hit and it was over but even in that very short period of time when I had my show, I was able to kind of build a community through the music I was playing and have that band come in. It was so much fun. And I, uh, I think it set a good sound foundation as I moved into the pandemic, for sure. So you were then conducting virtual, even though everybody's pre-recording their shows, you were having virtual interviews with all these new bands that you were in contact with. How did that go? Yeah, it was scary at first as someone who had no experience and I was reaching out to some fairly large artists, but I more than anything in school have kind of learned to say yes to any opportunity, whether it scares me a ton and it always ended up being such a great learning experience. And luckily we live in a time with awesome technology that made meeting with them over Zoom and recording super straightforward. 
and every artist I met was just like more than cordial and a lot of them still friends today so despite the pandemic that was literally such an awesome experience that I don't think I would have had as much if it weren't for the pandemic. For those of you who've just joined us, you're listening to Ask a Leader, and my guest is KUCI music director and graduating anteater of the class of 2021, Kate Davidson. She's given her commencement address, and now we're, we're popping her wide open. We're interviewing her now, not her interviewing her vaunted music guest for her dumpster diving show. We're taping this on June 4th, but you all will be hearing it next week on June 8th, and she'll be graduating at the end of the June 8th week. So let's talk about where your transition, you, you talked a little bit about that in your dress. So talking about your business school experience, what is your thinking, Kate, about how business schools prepare business majors? There's a lot of socializing going on, a socialization process. You're being acculturated to be good business members of the broader community. What was that process about, Kate? Yeah, I mean, I think that business is such a broad topic that it was hard for them to cover everything. And I felt like overall, it was a kind of macro look at a lot of topics where we, um, I got some understanding of marketing, I've got some understanding of corporate social responsibility, of finance, of a lot of things. And I do feel like the Paul Mirage School of Business allowed you to kind of focus in on some areas. And I went into um, information systems and some of the tech side, also the organizational management side. But overall, I felt like an undergraduate business degree still feels pretty loose where I don't feel like I have like a super intense like business background, but I know the industry. I have a general sense. Okay. And so what were some of the biggest classes that you had virtually and the smallest? Yeah. In, in terms of size or just like impact? That, well, first, I just was wondering, get my mind wrapped around how big, how, how many boxes were there on your screen to, in the classes, just the, the number. And then we can get into, you know, how much of the impact it's had on you. Yeah, the classes had maybe 70 to 80 people for most of them. I know that's smaller than some. Because it's, it's upper level, yeah. upper division. Yeah, and the business school is smaller than some of the other schools at UC Irvine. So I was allowed to have courses that were a little more intimate with your professors than I'm sure other majors had. And the impact it had as far, I mean, you talked a little bit about that, but more, I mean, I'm not familiar with how hard they work this corporate social responsibility. So I know my listeners know I have a sort of a bias in that sort of sector of business acculturation. So how did they explore corporate social responsibility? Yeah, I think that they did a decent job. I've taken a wide variety of classes and I feel like a lot of them at least touched on different aspects of it. I'm trying to think of like exact course titles to match like the ones that touched on that. I feel like some of my marketing courses went in on some of the ethics of it. I took a negotiations course that talked about some elements of corporate social responsibility. I think that I, I don't know. I think more than anything, being a business major, it, it really is a personal thing in terms of corporate social responsibility. And I've seen a lot of 
even talk in my business courses or while applying for jobs where it feels like the struggle more than anything is applying like a genuine, like we're not just doing this to raise our bottom line or make money, but looking for companies that really feel genuine in terms of serving the community, of having a positive impact, whatnot. And I think in my classes, it was hard to find the balance of that too, where it's like, we could talk about corporate social responsibility all day, but is this really feel like it's coming from a genuine place? And that was, and still is always hard to navigate as a person in business. Can you get a sense in these classes? Do you know what, were there ever sort of engineering or the urban planning or fine arts majors, art performance majors? Were, could you tell those other majors might be coming in or maybe they're not taking the upper division courses? Yeah, I did take classes with some other majors. Particularly, I took some entrepreneurship courses because entrepreneurship has always been the path that interests me the most. And I could definitely tell I've it, I don't know if this is true or maybe all in my head but feel like you can kind of spot out who's maybe in liberal arts or who's in computer science and who's in business I felt like maybe differences in projects or when they present um, different mindsets a little bit but I have taken a variety of classes with different people and how did group projects work virtually yeah definitely a lot of lessons in like planning and being accountable and trying to manage other people with with group projects because I um, it's all communication and online communication and you have to arrange times to meet meet over zoom have a group chat something along those lines and I've had them where people are just awesome and we get along well and we communicate well over zoom and have fun and others where there's people that's like, oh, sorry, I missed your text. I'm sorry I didn't show up or, you know, all that good stuff that gets really stressful. And I think that I'm going to take it as a learning opportunity. But it was it's tough to um, especially college students like in the virtual environment, get everyone to chip in and put together a successful group project. OK, so. Let's talk about where you're headed with the Venture for America. It was originally founded by Andrew Yang, and it's now the CEO is Amy Nelson, and entrepreneurs are the name of the game. Talk about what they were looking for in what you put in your application and what you want to get out of the Venture for America project as a fellow. Yeah, well, my background is in entrepreneurship. I started my own vintage clothing business when I was in high school and it was all built off of passion. I wanted to dress like the rock and roll stars I saw on album covers and whatnot. And I was able to be really successful in building a client base and communicating with local suppliers, building a network through that and ultimately just having a good following. So I think that combined with my UC Irvine experience, combined with my experience at KUCI, made me an attractive candidate. And I think they're just looking for people who are genuinely passionate about entrepreneurship and hardworking. And the program itself, they place you within a startup throughout particularly underdeveloped communities. I've interviewed in Detroit, Baltimore, North Carolina, Philadelphia, uh, San Antonio, Texas, a bunch of different places where they're a little less economically together than like uh, Los Angeles, Seattle, New York. So they're trying to channel recent college graduates into places that need that support 
and whatnot. So I felt like for myself, this would be a really great experience. One, to get out of California and explore a little bit and just learn in a startup that's had some success, but is still trying to grow for mentorship to the to the fellows and really trying to learn about being an entrepreneur through this program. And they also have some security. So there's like a pay floor that they have to give at least that amount to the fellows. So I wouldn't be working at a startup where I would be concerned they wouldn't pay me or offer me some benefits. The program gives you the security that you will receive enough money to like survive and, and more so if you find the right position. And do they, do they even include health insurance? It depends on the company, but I think oftentimes, yes. Okay. It's depending on who is mentoring you or sponsoring you? Yeah. Well, you wow. have to interview with these different startups. So you can kind of decide and they'll decide if you're the right fit for them. So it just depends on the startup. Depends on some of these startups have like hundreds of employees, but they're still kind of in that startup level. And others have one employee and you're really working from bottom to hopefully getting the company somewhere. I want to explore that dance in a bit, but first stay in a more general area of entrepreneurs are all about autonomy. How, Kate, do you translate that into local economic development, local needs? Yeah, I think definitely for one, just building communities through when there's a um, thriving business there, there's jobs, there's hopefully money being created, people getting paid, putting these um, communities and serving these communities through just like a better, more money flowing, more jobs flowing, things along that line. Um, and I think ultimately maybe putting the place on the map to showing that, hey, we have new businesses here that are doing really well. For instance, like in Detroit, which used to be an economic giant, but it has more recently been not so cool. They're trying to have a better startup community and trying to build new companies there that are going to kind of revitalize Detroit, maybe make it a little more fresh and hip. But yeah, ultimately just trying to build new businesses in these places that will hopefully put them on the map a little bit more. So you were talking a little bit about this dance between the sort of the venture capitalist, the proprietor sponsor of a Venture for America fellow. So in preparation for this interview, you mentioned some concerns about how this is all going to work, how this will fit for you ultimately. Yeah, I mean, I think my biggest concerns moving forward is more on a personal level of I've wanted to be an entrepreneur and that's really stemmed from wanting to combine my own creative ambitions in music, in the vintage clothing world, in art, which I've always really strived to be a part of and feeling like I might compromise on some of that when moving to somebody else's startup. So I think that working in someone else's startup obviously has great opportunity to learn from them and hopefully they'll be willing to pour into you, invest time into you, make sure that you kind of understand these different aspects of the business world so you know how to grow a business, how to feed a business and hopefully make it become a great thing and last for a long time. But for myself, my concerns kind of stem from, is this going to serve my own creative ambitions or will I just be serving somebody else's? 
And then the local part, I'm, I am interested in if the charter for Venture for America was to lift local economic concerns, the entrepreneur's DNA may, may or may not see what local needs are. Yeah. Or maybe they see it better, but I, I, that's not predetermined though. Yeah, I think it definitely depends on a company by company basis. I know a lot of people are in the game for the money and other people look at their community and they want it to grow and become a better place for the people who live there. So it's really kind of tough to navigate. But I think ultimately Venture for America was created to serve these communities. And I th they really want college students to have the opportunity to go to places like this instead of just going oh I'm going to work at Amazon in Seattle which is like a guaranteed paycheck and you know there's already a lot of strong business foundations there where some of these other communities do we just reject them do they just fizzle away and whatever and hopefully Venture Vera America is trying to grow them and build opportunity there as well. So with your Good Fruit Venture, as well as your coursework in the business school being during the pandemic, did these experiences all lend themselves to sort of a hybridizing of outreach of your customer base to launch a startup? Yeah, I mean, I think on some levels, I've been worried about starting my own startup in that I already have a pretty secure thing with good fruit. I know how to make money off of it and I know how I can make more money off of it if I poured more time and energy into different aspects of it. But I think every entrepreneur's thought on their mind is scaling and what's the next step. And I think for myself, I'm not sure if it's a project that I want to take to that next level. So I think that through my coursework, through working at KUCI, and I've had an internship where I did a lot of A&R consumer outreach. I think I have a pretty good understanding of building an audience, marketing, building something that's cool and attractive to people and hopefully we'll get them on board. I think for myself, I'm pretty confident in my abilities and really trying to pour in and strengthen certain areas, but at the same time, just not sure like which path, like there's only so many things you could pour your time into. And for me, it, it doesn't as much come down to money as like, is this going to serve my interests and really be something that's meaningful in the long term? So it's the hard thing that I'm trying to navigate right now. Well, I want to also call out that the good fruit being dealing in vintage clothing. I don't know how many years later it is since you've been six, since you were 16 when you started good fruit, but Vintage clothing is an ethical consumerism that's getting a lot more attention. Is that of interest to you? Are you seeing a market really open up in your own situation? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I started, that'd be five years ago when I was 16. I'm 21 now. And when I started, it felt like it was just starting to gain an incline. That whole industry was all of a sudden like girls, all they wanted to wear was worn out Levi's and vintage crop tops and whatnot. And I was one of those girls and my father actually is an antique dealer and I kind of followed in his footsteps and he helped me build that community. And really without him, I probably wouldn't have had the success I had today, but I recognized currently that there is a huge industry there and I've talked to other people in the industry and they've had success I think that the competition 
sort of freaks me out and that was part of my reasoning of like going is this something I still want to do and I've done it for a long time I still actively run the shop and enjoy doing it but at the same time now that I'm graduating I just consider is this the industry the occupation that I want to pour my time into and I think with going to college too I sort of feel pressured to get like a more formal job or something that looks good on paper or something along those lines when my background is a lot more self-made and kind of a DIY old school buying and selling business background. So part of me goes, hey, you went to UC Irvine. This is a great education. You could probably get a job in something cool. And another part of me wants to stick to my roots and work for myself. And I believe that I could be able to support myself on that vintage clothing shop that I've already grown, but not sure if I, you know, want to do that. So still another thing I'm trying to navigate right now. (laughs) Well, so I I just have one little business proposition that you can start, you can outfit the band members that you've been interviewing. Mm. Yeah, I've thought about incorporating that love of music more and, and trying to combine the music scene with the vintage clothing scene and have thought about different startups of my own that tunes I and threads dumpster diving tunes and threads yeah. yes okay yeah, well I, I know you've got entrepreneur i'm not going to step on your toes there but i <laughs> but i i'm uh, i'm in your corner though okay. so well kate this has been such a treat to get to interact with you now we all at the station we sure do miss not being able to hand off shows to each other to meet for station updates although i could do without some of the uh, station managers more probing icebreakers, <laughs> but it, it feels pretty hollow to send you packing virtually, but know that your selfless direction of all those music questions, your enterprising ways have been so very much appreciated. Thank you, thank you. And so Kate, I wish you so well on the next ventures, adventures, and hope that you'll be streaming us live or digging up some archive stuff to keep in touch, okay? Yes, I'm going to stick around KUCI as long as I can, but it'll always be a part of me, and it's been an amazing experience. You'll have a summer show then at the summer quarter? I'm going to try to. I think that it's still going to be virtual during that time, so as long as it's virtual or unless I get a job in Orange County, I'll try to stick around, but... Yeah, also trying to find other outlets to keep DJing because I absolutely love it. Just the adventure of finding new music is one of the highlights of my week. And I'm constantly going, oh, man, I can't wait to show this to my listeners. So don't want to get rid of that outlet in my life if I can help it. Okay, great. Well, so we can be reasonably confident that there will be a dumpster dive in Tuesdays, two to four (laughs) into the summer quarter. Yes. Okay, great. Well, thank you again for your time. Thank you. This has been a pleasure. My guest was KUCI music director and graduating anteater class of 2021, Kate Davidson. Congratulations and good luck, Kate. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a treat talking with you today. Well, that's my wrap. And for next week's show, I'm calling Alex Kina and Michael Latner back to break down how so many state legislatures are rapidly enacting consequential new voting laws. The second segment will be UCI physics and astronomy professor Kev Abizajian to lead off with a series I'm building here, and I'm calling it Inside the 45th, a platform for constituents in our congressional district. 
please email me at cshambaugh at KUCI.org if you want to join me in future segments. Once again, congratulations, class of 2021 everywhere. You did it. Wow, did you do it. Talk with you next week. Thank you for listening, everyone.